0: Hello, I'm Julia Valentini, and you're listening to Scene World Podcast. So, welcome to the Scene World Podcast. Yeah, it's
1: the Scene World Podcast. It's us. You know who we are. Awesome. Awesome. So,
0: in a minute, we will talk to Modern Vintage Gamer, a.k.a. Dimitris Chianakis.
1: Yes. We, well, awesome. You, awesome. you will be you will be talking to him. I don't believe that I'm I was there. Yes,
0: I me and oh wait a
1: second oh, shit okay
0: <coughs> me we will cut that out yes um me and Dennis actually
1: yes did. yes
0: yes Dennis was there no yes. yes. So somebody somebody that was not me was there. Yeah, yeah, it was it was me and Dennis. So we will talk to him in a minute. But before that, some news. news. Well, so news number one. Louis Lewis uh, Whoop okay. So Lewis Rossman, the repair guy, um who does a lot of YouTube videos, actually made a YouTube video recently.
1: Oh, oh I know him, yeah.
0: Yeah, how the governor sabotaged. 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 Yeah. Okay. Lewis Rossman did a YouTube video recently about the governor who sabotaged um Sabotage. the repair Sabotage. bill Sabotage. in Sabotage. New York.
1: What? Sabotage. Sabotaged. Sabotage. Sabotage. Sabotage is, 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 is I don't know what that is, but it's sabotage.
0: Sabotage? Really? Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So third time.
2: Yeah.
0: Louis Russman, who is known for doing um Apple repairs.
2: Yes. Recently thought, did thought,
0: a YouTube video about the governor of New York City um sabotaged the right to repair bill yeah. by making it Effect, effectless, I would yes. say.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So we will we'll link to that. And next to that, also Nintendo of Germany is hiring. They are at the moment looking for a junior social media specialist. So we will link to the job portal of Nintendo And, and,
1: it's, and, it's, and it's, 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 it's actually, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting too because the governor of New York is oh. is Kathy whole whole who is yeah. a democrat and would normally be for right to repair you know like like that's it's it's an odd it's 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 a strange um a strange person to 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 sabotage that
0: oh okay well luckily i can switch the sentences Anyway, next to that, um, we had Matri as a guest a while ago, and they yep. actually has had been at the red carpet on the SPS drama awards. There's a YouTube shorts about that. People link to that. So our most famous guests yeah. are going high high stages.
1: I wasn't even there.
0: Right, right, right. Um, and The next thing that actually I found out today, there has been Metal Slug released for the Mega Drive and for the Atari STE. Okay. And on the HIO pages, they actually write they are planning a physical Mega Drive slash Genesis release. So.
1: Okay. Okay. Okay.
0: That's something.
1: That's a thing. Yes.
0: Yeah. And last but not least, uh, ForeverClassics.com released an article about Games of Excellence 2022. That's also nice. Mm-hmm. And David Plassens released the oh, yes. German announcements about the um, the German book release.
1: Right. Right.
0: Um, awards those who ordered his book um, translation, so we will link right. to that as well. So if you if you pre-ordered his his German book, you should you should um, check that out because he wrote some important infos about that regarding shipping address and so on. Indeed. Yeah. Well. And also last Saturday, um, our staffer and PR assistant. I was gonna
1: ask. I was gonna. I was wondering if you were gonna bring that up.
0: Yeah, sure. Dennis Karimani, A.K.A. Reviewed, <laughs> had a concert on the DRP, the Digital Retro Park, the Museum in Offenbach, Germany. Who we also had a virtual museum tour a while ago with, at the beginning of the pandemic in April yes, twenty Yes, we did. Yeah, we 20.
1: did it. It was it was was awesome. Yeah, so that was almost three years ago. Also, speaking of which, uh, Falk Heisenberg, uh, um, who was Heinzelmann, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. What's the name? Falk Heinzelmann. Falk Heinzelmann, who was one of our 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 tour guides for the Digital Retro Park, uh, recently had a heart attack. But I know, I good, called
0: uh, him today, yeah, yeah but he's, he's doing he's, fine he's and doing he's good. actually on the road to run recovery.
1: Yes, yes, but I, I called wanted, him yeah. earlier today. Yeah. I just wanted to give him a shout out because he was awesome on the podcast and I saw, you know, the po- social media post about it and, and you know. Whoa,
0: yeah. Well, but luckily anyway. I'm still fine. Still yeah. here,
1: so yeah,
0: yeah. And he is also here. He is just yeah. on the road of recovery. I I had a phone call with him today before good, we good. do this recording now and asked him like, Hey Falk, how are you doing? How is your uh, possibility of staying alive? And he said, Yeah, he's well. <laughs> <out." laughs> and <laughs> that's <laughs> he's yeah, <smoking>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, you
1: gonna stay alive? <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's so yeah. Good, yeah, but anyway, um, we're talking about rebuke. Talking about Dennis. Yeah, well,
0: that was it. He had the concert, and there's a recording of yeah. the concert to which we will link.
1: Beautiful. Were you there? Yes. Nice. First appointment this year. Nice, nice. I'm, I mean, Dennis nice is to awesome. It. I've got, I've got so much Dennis stuff uh, right, right back there. Right. Me too. Me too. i am am ai am ai am a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a. Uh, a colleague and a fan.
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, I actually actually got some stuff from him too. But the thing is, some things are um, not easy to get anymore, or let's say impossible. Yeah.
1: And um, because they are sold out. Yeah. Well, there was a, a the last thing he did came with uh, uh, balloons, and um, there was a limited number of balloons that he could send. So I, yeah. I luck I fortunately managed to get one of the I think it was probably one of the last batches that actually had a, a couple of balloons in it nice so okay yeah I mean there's there there are finite supplies for that stuff so
0: yeah and Mikey LD actually released his album for um the Sega Genesis, which is called Megatrive on the rest of the world, yes. He released that album for the first time on MC, on music cassette.
1: I wonder why they called it the Sega Genesis, because... Because...
0: because it was originally on the Genesis but then decided to make a cassette version as no, well. No no, that no, 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 no,
1: no, no, said said, I said I wonder why Sega decided to call it the Genesis.
0: Because there was a different machine with the same name Drive, in the USA yeah, at Genesis, that time already. Yeah, but
1: Genesis usually means the beginning of something and you would think like like it an, was an, be- an earlier. Be- but it, but it, it wasn't well, the beginning of like was Sega the consoles. It was
0: the beginning of their 16-bit era. Uh, for the home consoles and that is how they named it like that
1: i think it's a i think that's a cheesy i think it's a crappy name for a console mega drive sounds much cooler
0: well what 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 should they have called it in usa gigantic drive
1: yeah yeah or or just you know the the the, huge
0: drive
1: the sega blast processor
0: (laughs) <laughs> blast! Blast processing. Yeah, we we discussed that a couple yeah, of
1: yeah. times hell, already. Hell, I'd buy the. The blast.
0: marketing thing that I, everybody the... thought
1: was just a gag, yeah, and yeah. then we later found out blast processing is actually a thing the Mega Drive can do. I'd, I'd buy a. I'd buy a thing called the blast processor. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, that is probably why they
0: called the graphic mode the special graphic mode, yeah. uh, blast processing. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, the interesting thing about this is, I mean, we linked to that a couple of times already, to yeah, that yeah, video. Yeah. The thing yeah. is, to this day, many people don't know, a, still, that plus processing is actually a thing. Mm-hmm. Before the internet, people thought it was a marketing jargon. Yeah, just a
1: buzzword.
0: A, yeah, just a buzzword for marketing. And then people were shocked and they're like, wow, it's actually a thing. They Actually, they didn't lie about that. But but there's there's only one tech demo and and Sonic and a Sonic game that actually uses this Oh
1: so nothing really uses that that mode. Exactly.
0: Oh, exactly.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. Because it's barely usable, but
1: Just, why but not it, use, But it but, exists.
0: But it exists, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I I guess we will link to that video a second time so people can check it out again in case they they missed the other intro of the other podcast where we mentioned it. We also mentioned it in our first retro panel where Richard Löwenstein was like, brass possessing? (laughs) Because he also thought that was a joke I did. Like, no. I later told him, you know, that's not a joke. It's actually a thing. Really? I'm like, yeah, seriously.
1: I would not lie uh, about that. Speaking of Richard Liebenstein, I've seen some um, updates on the uh, reshoot R Proxima that are coming out. He's you know, and he posted some videos on working on a new boss, and it really it looks pretty uh pretty, awesome. bitchin, pretty bitchin'.
0: Awesome. So you see, many news to check out.
1: Yeah, yeah, there is.
0: Yeah, and now I guess I had more.
1: Jump. I guess I had more stuff in my head than I thought. Yeah,
0: and now let's move to the. Modern Vintage Gamer, Dimitris, yay, awesome. Today, we have another podcast guest, as all podcasts, and this time I'm actually not alone, Dennis is with us today, and we are talking to Dimitris Chianakis, a modern Vintage Gamer. Hello, Dimitris, nice to have you here.
2: Thank you uh Yog it's it's great to be here. I know that's a mouthful. Um so you you uh you said it well but uh, it's great to be here it's great to great to be with you guys.
0: Well the thing is I've wanted since years to talk to you so I'm very happy you agreed. I mean I followed you since ages. I mean you are around since well since 2007.
2: Yes, it's a long wow. time. I I I mean I I started I mean I created the channel back in 2007. And, you know, it's one of those things where I didn't really do anything with it. You know, I was uploading kind of just random videos and, and things. And, uh, and I only really got serious about YouTube, like in 2016 or 2017. But before that, it was just, I kind of messed, was messing around with it. I wasn't really doing anything serious with it. But yeah, I've been on been on the platform for a very, very long time, very long time.
0: How did you get involved into computers and stuff?
2: Um, so I, that's a good question. I mean, initially it was something that was a, a new, uh, a new discovery for me, we'll say so, um, you know, for your audience and for you guys, uh, I'm, I'm a middle-aged man. I'm, I'm nearly 50. So I turn 50 next year. So, um, as far as my kind of origin story about computers was I grew up, you know, with the Commodore 64 and the VIC-20 um, in the 80s. So my dad brought home a VIC-20 sometime in the 80s, probably 83, 84 or something like that. And everything just kind of went from there. I I was very uh, much fascinated by, by this little box with some keys on it, you know? And I remember um, when he brought it home, uh, It was uh, it was interesting because it came with this manual, you know, and um, the manual had these little programs that you could, you could start typing out to learn, learn how to, how to code on, you know, and that's kind of where it all started for me. Um, that That's kind of the origins. And then from the, from the VIC-20, you know, you, you moved to the C64, of course. And then um, I remember my brother and I wanted to get an Amiga when that came out. So we, uh, we were, we were able to, uh, Pull enough money together to uh, get an Amiga uh, one thousand in like eighty eight or nineteen eighty eight or something, and and it, it's really just been been from there. Uh, Your it's just been um, you know constant love and and passion about computers, you know, just both from a uh, video games perspective and also from a development perspective about you know how to how to program on these things, and it's just it's it's just been you know an, an ongoing journey and um you know I, I think that's probably the best best way to, to describe it for me
3: so you are grown up uh, surrounded by computers it's it's all yes. your life yeah. yeah
2: i still am by the way uh, i <laughs> yeah. never i never i never gave it up you know um i uh, i as you get older you you kind of try to explore um the computers that you didn't look into when you were growing up because you know mm. either you couldn't afford them or they weren't available so I, i've just got this fascination with you know all computers in general
0: nice what i like is your serious ideas you put on 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 youtube for example the impossible ports i mean mm-hmm. I, i'm not a coder myself i only understand half of what you are saying but the way you present it it's already entertaining enough for me and i'm like okay there there was a doom prototype for the gba i'm like wow mm-hmm. okay didn't even know Um, or or another another series where you where you present failed copy protection and stuff I was like oh my god you know it's uh, you're pretty unique in 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 those content content things
2: yeah I mean for me look YouTube is is an interesting platform to be on because there are a lot of creators out there that that do amazing things you know and and I think I made a conscious decision and effort to talk about things that are a little, little over here, you know, a little, little uh, darker or more underground, we'll say, you know. So, stories about copy protection and security, um, you know, console security, and and even the impossible port stuff is, I feel like it's it's an area where you know, it's, it's very interesting to myself. And I think a lot of people, you know, want to hear about those stories about, you know, about um, either copy protection, hardware, impossible ports. And, you know, for me, it's like, I want to educate people as well and, and tell them about these types of stories, because I think they're just as important as the actual game or the actual piece of hardware, you know, that every everything has a story behind it, and you know, for me, I, I wanted to kind of dive into those types of topics because uh, I, I find them very interesting, and 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 it seems like my audience uh, likes likes that stuff as well. So um, I think it's 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 a good thing.
3: Definitely a perfect mix between. Let's say some geeky stuff and some popular yeah. stuff, and uh, I really like the balance in the, the YouTube YouTube channel. So it's, it's it's entertaining and educating.
2: Very good. Yeah, uh, thank you, and I, I appreciate the the feedback. Yeah. You know, and, and and look for me, um, one of the things I I really like to do with my content is I don't want to make it too technical. You know, so people kind of don't understand what I'm talking about, right? So I try to keep it. I mean, there's definitely some technical aspects to the content because you have to you have to be somewhat technical. But I always am mindful of the audience, and I I don't want to go too deep or too technical and kind of lose people. I want to keep it as high level as possible so people can follow along with you know what's going on. And I think I do a pretty good job most of the time, um, in, in that regard. And you know, it, it seems like a lot of people really enjoy it. So um, I do I do appreciate the the kind words there. Very
3: good.
0: I mean, in this field, you also have a lot of younger YouTubers. Um, for example, we had on the show Kelsey Lewin, who oh, yeah. actually Anna turned Kelsey. 28 eight this year. And, and mm. she's actually researching stuff that was released before she was born. Yes. And um, I mean, she's very down to detail. But my tribe with other YouTubers is sometimes when you have the fifth The Rise and Fall of Sega YouTube mm-hmm. video or so on, you have a lot of mistakes and research errors or where the research wasn't even done properly. Mm-hmm. And this this always pains me. I'm always feeling the urge to write a comment below those videos saying like, yeah, you got the facts wrong here a bit <laughs> and stuff. And <clears throat> so... I guess in in your case, with your content, you don't have this fear of repeating what others have done before, or perhaps making a major mistake somehow. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, for me, look I, I make mistakes too. you know i, I the, there's a lot of research and and things that go on to the content that I make, but there there are some videos that I've done where I've clearly messed some things up or I've, I've said something that's incorrect. And, you know, there's always uh, someone in the comments that will, will, you know, tell you that you, 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 you messed this part up and that's fine. You know, for me, I think, um, it's all about, you know, not only educating my audience, but also if there's something that I kind of messed up or is incorrect, then I would like to take that on board. Um, and, you know, for next time and, and make sure that, you know, what I present is accurate, but like for me, uh, yoga I really, one of the things I, I really focus on is trying to make sure that my information is, is correct. Like I said, sometimes it's not, sometimes I'll, I'll make an assumption about something and, you know, it, it's, uh, it's wrong, right? But like, at the end of the day, I sometimes actually turn to uh, some of the experts um, and kind of get their uh, advice on a script that I'm working on. So for example, if I'm working on um, console security, I'm going to reach out to someone that is a security researcher to help me, right? Um, Not every every video that I've done, I have consulted with someone, um, but most of the time I like to actually talk to someone before I present this info Uh, because getting things right for me is very important and you know when i when i do make mistakes and i I have made mistakes no question um you know it's not not always the best feeling that you've you've messed something up but i will say that i i haven't gotten my information so badly incorrect where i've had to start over and and delete the video and start over but usually for me if i make an error somewhere it's i've got a year wrong so if i for example if something happened in 1984 I may have said 1983 or something, so it's so kind of smaller things. But, you know, I, I do like to um, to try to keep the information as accurate and correct as possible, because um, I think it's very important.
0: Well, the problem also is in this field of retro gaming, you also have a lot of urban legends and it feels <laughs> like the more you repeat the urban legend, the more likely it becomes true. Let's, for example, talk about blast processing on the yes. Mega Drive, which <laughs> yeah. is actually called Genesis. For mm-hmm. years and for centuries, people thought that blast processing was a marketing gag, actually. Until right. somebody, seven years ago, made a video where, where he talked about somebody, uh, with somebody, yeah. who was an expert on this blast processing thing, realizing then, yes. for, for the first time on YouTube, it was actually a thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's funny. I actually have a, uh, an interesting story about that as well, and it's it's uh, it's not about blast processing, but it's, an, it's about an Amiga game that had copy protection um, called Leander. And it came out by Psygnosis. This was going back years ago. So one of the developers, John Burton, actually, uh, you may have heard the story. Um, he said that the copy protection on the disk, they actually had punched a hole on the media. And that was the copy protection they used. And I remember I was thinking to myself, I have this game, you know, I have, I have, I have the original game, and I don't remember this ever happening. So I looked at my discs, and they were totally fine. There was no hole punched in them. So I remember I uh, I asked him about it, and I asked some other people in the in the Amiga community, a couple of crackers um, from some cracking groups back in the '80s, about this um, that actually cracked the game, and none of them said that they ever remember there was a hole punched in it and when we went back and asked john burton about it he uh he said well that's what i thought but maybe i'm not sure you know that's so these kind of stories you know it's not just from um you know creators or or whatever some of these stories actually come from from the developers themselves and because so much time has passed, and i'm not i'm not suggesting that he's you know he's being misleading or he's lying or anything um but what i'm saying is so much time has passed you know because we're talking about 1988 1989 era right so much time has passed and and you kind of just don't remember exactly you know this information so i love going back and kind of researching this stuff and really trying to you know make sure that um you know the things that are being said are, are accurate and uh, but that was that was an interesting one for me because I always believed that story. I always thought that story was true because one of the developers, you know, at the time said it was right. So you got it, you kind of, you kind of got it from the horse's mouth. You know what I'm saying? And in the end it was not accurate. And again, I'm, I'm not suggesting that he was lying, but it's just one of those things where, you know, 35 years has passed and it's like, well, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that, that just came up as, as kind of a, an urban legend or a myth. And that was never really debunked, you know.
0: I guess the problem will increase with the years passing by and the new gener- <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> the new generation of YouTubers making the research or other people for that matter. I mean, well, that's, I mean that's a thing. As we are he, sitting here, we will probably not be doing this in twenty, thirty years, you know.
2: Right. Well I mean, see the the thing is, um a lot of researchers on YouTube look at look at Wikipedia and, and other and other outlets. I'm not saying it's Wikipedia, but <laughs> these types of stories get then um, you know, pushed out to various websites. So this particular story about the copy protection on Leander was actually from the cutting room floor, which is a very respected website where they oh, yes. have lots of information about all sorts of facets of video games. And so you can see how these kind of myths kind of um, you know, kind of kind of branch out and and just become stories of truth after a while but it's not it, so there's you know it's important i feel like for for someone like myself or, or some other creators to to go back and take a look at it again and 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 reassess you know um what was said here and uh so i think you know um it's easy for a creator to do research looking at various websites and reading magazine articles and things because at the end of the day we are we, kind of implying or assuming that is the source of truth here, but you know, um, until you kind of do your own research, sometimes it it may not always be accurate.
0: Have you done that? Have you been um, going over another YouTuber's research video and made your own,
2: correcting that person? No, I, I don't tend to do that. Um, look, I, I kind of respect any content creator that that makes YouTube videos, even even ones that Maybe don't put as much time and effort into the content. Uh, I know what it's like to make videos, and it's it's a grind. You know, there's always a lot of work that goes on, and I kind of respect anyone that that's a creator out there. So I I don't tend to um, take someone else's content and then tear it apart and then kind of you know re-upload it with corrections. Um, cause I don't really feel like that is number one. I don't feel like my audience is really that interested in that. I think they'd just rather me do something on my own terms and two, um, you know, for me, that doesn't sound like a particularly fun video to make anyway. So I'd rather just kind of do my own thing.
0: Good point. So, so what's your normal way of approaching a topic?
2: Well, um, so I, I kind of have a, a set schedule about how I do things, and you know, topics come from pretty much everywhere. It's not, it's not something that I, I sit down and you know have this big giant Excel spreadsheet of of video topics that I I want to explore. A lot of the times, it just kind of just comes to me um, in in various ways. So if, sometimes I'll get someone that will email me or, or send me a message and say. You should really check check out this topic it's interesting it's it's up your alley um and sometimes i'll do that um but most of the time i like to just do what feels good to me you know like i don't really have um a set you know idea about what i'm doing uh most of the time you know uh, and with that but with that said i mean I, I definitely do have a schedule and how i make content and the way that I like to do things is you know I like to spend a few days researching um, a topic first. And usually, if it involves some type of hardware or some software, most of the time, I actually want to have those pieces available to myself rather than you know um just kind of talk about something. So, for example, if if I'm going to talk about a commodore sixty four game that that has some something interesting about it, I want to make sure I have the hardware, which I do. Um, and I want to make sure I have a copy of the game on hand as well. So I, I kind of want to kind of feel like, um, you know, I have all the pieces, uh, before I kind of dive in. So I spend a few days researching, um, and then I'll, uh, start writing a script for the video, depending on the topic that I'm covering. And usually I take maybe a day or two. And when I say a day, I'm not talking about a full you know, eight hour work, work day. This is something that I like to do kind of after hours, you know, Um, so I'll spend um, a few hours, uh, um, you know, the first night researching. And then if I need to do more, I'll I'll do some more research. And then I'll start writing a script for the video and during like the middle of the week or something like that. Um, And the script, you know, goes through iterations. It's not always just, you know, I type out, you know, five pages of, of of verbiage and then read that out. I, I like to uh, just kind of make it pretty, uh, it's like a draft almost, you know, it's, it, it, I kind of keep it as a draft because I'm always constantly adding things or if I, if I kind of want to talk about something and then I look at it again and I feel like it doesn't really seem that important, then I may kind of scrap that part out. But anyway, I, I, I kind of script it and then I start to shoot um, B-roll, you know, so I get the camera, the lights, all that set up and start shooting the content for the video. And then usually, so I, I release a video every single Monday, um, local time, at least here in the US. And so normally by Saturday, I have everything I need for the video. So then I'm I'm basically just editing at that point, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think about how this video is going to flow, um, how long it's going to be and all that stuff. And I just kind of start, you know, editing the video and Um, What I normally do is I'll upload it um, to my channel like on a Saturday or a a Sunday and I kind of just watch it a few times and and kind of take a look at it and sometimes I'll send it to uh, some friends as well to get their input as well and if it feels good, most of the time it does, if it feels good, I'll, um, you know, I'll release it, right? Um, If there's any changes that need to happen, I'll go back and maybe uh, reshoot some scene or, you know, reshoot um, uh, some B-roll or um, talk about, uh, well, you know, do some more audio voiceover work. But that's kind of the the routine that I've had. And I've pretty much had that, you know, like I said, since 2016, 2017, when I kind of really got serious about about making videos on on the platform. Very interesting insights.
3: So, um, speaking of what feels good to you, let's come back to your to your channel um, title, Modern Vintage Gamer. Um, mm-hmm. What's your favorite vintage console, and what's your favorite modern console? That would be interesting to know.
2: So, for me, the Commodore Amiga has always been my favorite vintage console. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of that that machine. It was really the system. So before the C, before the Amiga, I mentioned I had a VIC-20 and a C64. And for the most part, you know, I was playing games on, on those things, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, you know, as, like as, most most of us, as most of us were back in those days. But when I got the Amiga, it, it kind of changed my world in so many ways because um, when I got the Amiga, I realized that this particular machine had so much um, to it. it. It had its own personality almost. It was um it was amazing. It was like a light bulb had had turned on in my head and it was like, well, yes, you can play games and the games are really good, but you know, you have all this creativity available now. You have deluxe paint, you know, where you can you can um do uh illustrations and art. You have um tracker programs, you know, where you can, oh, yeah, you, music. can make, you can make music, right? <laughs> um there's also um programming languages that are available to just the average person to make games. Like you've got, um, C, C compilers, you've got, um, Blitz basic, you've got AMOS, you've got all sorts of tools to, to really help you express your creativity here. And there's also emulators as well. And that's my first real experience with emulation was things that ran on the Amiga. They, none of them were fast, but, they were fascinating to me that, you know, this machine, this, this, this like little box, right, could could emulate um, the ZX Spectrum and the C64 and the the uh, the Macintosh and the IBM PC it was um, it was amazing. And, you know, for me, I remember um, when I went to uh, university, I. Uh, I used to do my homework on my Amiga uh, via a PC emulator and it was, it ran really slow, but it was still good enough, you know, for me to actually, you know, work on, on this kind of lowly Amiga and, and and kind of get my work done. And, you know, for me, that was just amazing. So I, I've always had um, just amazing fondness and memories of the Amiga. And if you, if you nice. kind of follow the channel, Every so often I always like to love to go back to the Amiga because there's always something interesting and unique to talk about with, with that hardware.
0: Dragon Lair on the Amiga. How a laser this yeah. game fits on discs?
2: Yes. <laughs> that's right. That's that's one of them. Um I just <laughs> I just finished that one a few weeks ago and I had a lot of fun doing that one because I remember I bought Dragon's Lair back in 1987, and I still have my my copy somewhere. It was on the it was on the video, but you know it's one of those one of those games where I was again really interested in and in how this this came to be. You know, because all the other versions of Dragon's Lair at the time weren't very good, and this one aimed to be a a, a really good port of the Laserdisc original. So I always wanted to learn about how um, how do you get a laserdisc game on six floppy disks, you know? <laughs> so I reached out to uh, the creator of the game on the Amiga, Randy Linden, um, who I've I've done videos on on his work in the past, and he sat down on a Skype call uh, just like this for an, uh, you know an hour and just told me everything about how it all went down, and it was it was so interesting to me, you know, to to listen to the story about the the pitch for the game how he got um, how we got the game uh, you know greenlit by uh, Sullivan Bluth and how he managed to rip every single frame off the laser disc and scan it you know with a with a, a scanner um, onto the Amiga and basically went from there it was it was very very interesting.
0: Well. I guess, and Dragon's Lair is one of those examples where the original is hard and good, and mm-hmm. most conversions are hardly good.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the the game is very polarizing because, look, let's be honest, it's not a particularly good game because it's it's basically just, if you think about video games these days, you have quick time events, you know, you 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 know during gameplay, and most people don't like quick time events because they're kind of annoying. Dragon's Lair is kind of the ultimate quick time event game, you know, the original <laughs> in, so, in so many ways. And so for me, the game itself isn't particularly playable. Uh, it's it's not fun, but it it looks amazing. And you know, the technical aspects of this game running on the Amiga is what's important, what's interesting to me. The game itself, you know, it's it's very colorful, it's very it's very pretty, but it's all about how this was done you know versus the actual game itself
0: i guess most people don't know that the original arcade version was actually run on an amiga are you sure about that i mean the, the, there there is there is a version of the game yes um i you're, i had a i had a friend
2: you're, of mine um are you're, you're who, getting confused i think because yeah? you are correct there, there was um laser disc games that were um powered by amiga hardware i don't think it was dragon slayer though the one that i think you're thinking about was mad doc mccree or one of those games that was definitely you're right there's definitely um some interaction with amiga hardware and laser disc games but Mm -hmm. i don't believe dragon slayer was ever um powered by amiga as far as i know at least Mm. No, well, now no, you got me interested, so I may have to well, check, this the out, is, check this out.
0: The thing is, the thing is, I had a friend of mine who unfortunately died died of a brain tumor. But anyway, um, a few years back, perhaps five years back, um, he was at Gamescom, which is a retro event here in Germany, mm-hmm. and not a uh, homecon. Sorry, homecon, um, which is a retro event here in Germany, and he actually brought an original Laserdisc version of Dragon Lair and. He got a modified Amiga to run the original uh, Dragonlayer Laserdisc, so right. it's probably something he he um, he created. But but he told me that um, there is a version of the game running on Amiga hardware. That's at least what he told me. Interesting. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean. Um, Unfortunately, based on I that, can't
0: ask him anymore.
2: <laughs> but no, yeah. no, 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 no. I I understand. Um, I I think look there's definitely, there's definitely Amiga hardware that ran in the arcades. And there was um, some hardware that ran laser discs. But I'm I'm curious whether this was something that was done after the fact. I mean, I think it's very much possible to do it. But if we're talking about the original arcade cabinet of Dragon's Lair, as far as I know, at least, I don't believe Amiga was was used uh, with that hardware. But you're right, there there, there was definitely laserdisc based arcade hardware that was powered by Amiga. That is that is one hundred percent accurate.
0: Well, probably something you would have to research. As I said, mm-hmm. it's 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 something I can't go after, unfortunately. Yeah. Sure. But I mean, that was often done a lot of time. I mean, um, no, now I forgot. Uh, there was this this um, Tekken. Tekken, mm-hmm. for example, the arcade machine is actually a PlayStation without without it uh, without a disk drive so
2: yeah it, it it's mostly a PlayStation um, so I actually have a Tekken arcade PCB and you right, most <laughs> most of most oh yeah of course most of the chips um, are found in the PlayStation but usually with arcade hardware there's um extra memory or a little bit faster processing but you're right um, the kind of underlying core you know architecture of of Tekken and Tekken Tag Team Tournament, Tekken Two and Tekken Three, Soul uh, Soul Blade, and and all those games that I think it's Namco System Seven or something like that. Um, it's all PlayStation hardware. You're absolutely right.
0: Of course, you are the expert. <laughs> so that's already not on the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It's 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 just interesting because many people don't realize it. They are like, oh, the PlayStation looks pretty damn close. Yeah, that's because <laughs> that's what the is. game was made for. So
2: yeah, I mean, at the time, you know, it wasn't just PlayStation. Um, you know, Dreamcast was or Naomi hardware is very similar to the Dreamcast. Very very similar. Before the Dreamcast, the Saturn and these Sega STV, very very similar. So there was a lot of you know overlap between home consoles and arcade hardware and i think it was a conscious decision by these um you know platform makers to to provide an experience in the in the home that resembled mostly at least uh one-to-one of the arcade experience with some you know with some cut downs of course but i think that was a very clever thing because you know if you played tekken like you said in the arcade then you were very, very confident when you bought Tekken for the PlayStation that you'd be getting a version of that game that was pretty close to the arcade. And in some instances, especially when we talk about the Dreamcast, um, you know, games like Soul Calibur, for example, you could argue that they were actually better than the arcade version as well. So it was it was a very smart thing that the uh, arcade hardware, oper- you know, makers were doing at the time.
0: But arcade is not a topic you you cover a lot in your YouTube channel, actually. Uh,
2: I, I do it occasionally, and again, <laughs> um, I I have I have um, some arcade PCBs, and I'm into arcades as well. It's the thing about arcades is, um, you know, it, it's it's an area where there is a lot of research that's involved, you know, to to make sure, um, and unfortunately. A lot of this documentation, and you know, doesn't really exist because arcades weren't really something that were talked about much, you know, in in mainstream media. Other than just, you know, this is Daytona, USA, or this is this is Street Fighter. But you know, the kind of the underlying um, hardware aspects, you know, there, there are sites out there that you can research and learn about it. But arcade stuff is um, is a lot more difficult to you know to to research it and write. Write good, good, proper, you know, uh, videos on.
0: And, and there are also some some surprising facts I learned when when I got mine machine. Uh, for example, there are a lot of um, 188 in one uh, mm-hmm. PCBs and so on um, that actually run on a Dingo Digital hardware, which is a portable emulator console. Yes. And some Chinese manufacturers just reused that, put it on a put it on a PCB with a Jamaic connector, and there you go. I like super impressed.
2: I have played around with some of those. And for the most part they're they're fine. But one thing that um that really bugs me about those, you know, those fifty in ones or hundred and one boards is the sound is usually pretty bad. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 very I'm very particular when it comes to sound, you know, it, it has to be accurate. If, if it's not, then I can't play the game. Uh, yeah. Even, even simple sound effects. For example, one of the games that I have in my collection is I have a ghouls and ghosts, uh, PCB, but it's not a an, a, an, original PCB. It's a conversion. Uh, so basically what they did was they took a Capcom CPS one board um, read burnt the ghouls and ghost ROMs on it, and then you know, fit them on to the PCB. But the sound is not quite right. It's it's close, but it's not correct. And and the one that really bugs me is the uh, the noise sound effect when, um, you know, when your character is shooting the uh, the 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 swords, you know, um, and it bugs me to the point where I can not I can't play it, you know. So I'd rather just, um, you know, play it. In other via via other ways, you know what I mean, like um, like in MAME or something like that, which is in in my experience, it's actually better than than what what I have.
0: Yeah, it, those uh, dingo uh, dingo digital um, PCBs are particular bred on Neo Geo sound emulation. Um, probably yeah. um, mostly timing issues.
2: You know, mm-hmm. that's another um, thing. You're right. T- timing issues is another big thing as well, where you know, the, the audio is just delayed a a couple more frames than you remember. And, um, look, I I understand that we're getting, we're getting really into, uh, you know, being, being as accurate as possible and the average person doesn't even know, doesn't even understand, or, or doesn't even realize what's happening. They just want to play the game. But for me, it's, you know, um, I, I'm always very particular on, on, you know, Comparing, comparing those types of things with with the original game.
0: I have a story. In 2012, I was actually in Brazil visiting some friends, and um, at some point, we we hit an arcade um an arcade um, uh, hall, and I was playing Street Fighter Two. And my first thought was like, "This doesn't play right."
3: Mm. And
0: then five minutes later, I saw uh, an arcade um, technician. And he was opening one of the cases, and it was actually a PC with um, with May in it. And I was like, "Oh my yes. god!" Of course, yes. <laughs> of course. Of
2: yeah. Course. I mean, I I've seen that before. Um, and look, it's not really the fault of of you know the place that you're at. It's just, and, it, and you probably know this, but arcade PCBs are so expensive these days. You know, oh. and even then yeah. they were expensive. Um, i don't I don't really know what's happened, but the the market for arcade boards has just gone up like three hundred percent you know in the last few years. and it's not even worth buying um, these games on PCB anymore and especially when you can't really be guaranteed that this this board is going to fail, you know um, six months after you purchased it, especially old Capcom cps one boards that that um, are notorious for failing over time. And of course, CPS2 has the suicide batteries issue where you can, of course, you can fix those these days. But, you know, a lot of people just choose to not not worry about those things and either, you know, use an emulator or um, these days, the MISTER is, of course, is, is something that's becoming more popular as well. So I don't, I don't blame um, these arcades for having main cabinets these days, because I, I, I get that the price of these things are very expensive.
0: And they have to run a business after all. Of
2: course. Of
0: course. It's either that or close down for good, you know?
2: Of course, yes, absolutely. Um
0: which leads me to another question. What if you if you want to buy, let's say on eBay, a piece of game hardware or whatever you want to you want to mention on the YouTube channel and you can't find it, like the game costs four hundred euros or four hundred mm-hmm. or eight hundred dollars? what are you doing?
2: <laughs> Buy it um, anyway
0: for no, the, the rip off price?
2: No, not usually. Usually I won't. Um, what I'll probably do in that scenario is I'll sit on that video. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, you know, I won't scrap the idea. I'll definitely want to pursue it. But I may just wait for um, something more reasonable to come up. And a good example, actually, uh, this has happened to me before is that this was a long time ago, kind of, of the earlier videos that I did, but um, I uh, I was able to get a hold of a Commodore 128D, so the kind of the desktop C60, well the C128, um, but it didn't have the keyboard you now because remember nah. that the the keyboard has that 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 proprietary connector. Mm. Oh yes. Um, so I had I had the system, um, I had the the monitor, and it all worked, but I had no no keyboard, right? So I, uh, I was looking around to see if I could find um, a seller that, that had a keyboard and there were a couple on eBay and one, one person wanted, I, I think it was like $400 for, for one of the keyboards, like to get it, you know? Um, but Too I, 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 yeah, I, I put a notification on, on the, you know, on C one twenty eight D keyboard or something. And I kind of forgot about it for about almost a year. And, I don't remember what happened exactly, but I got an alert like a year later that someone was selling two keyboards. Um, Both of them were untested for $75. So I bought them immediately, right? I was like, well, hopefully I can get at least one of these to work. Um I got both of them, and both of them worked fine uh, <laughs> so I was able to you know then uh proceed and 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 finish the video so I guess the 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 answer to that is usually I'll just wait uh until something else comes along. There's also been situations where I know I have a friend that has some hardware that um that I could just ask you know to borrow um. Another good one that I did recently, well, not re- not not that recently, but maybe two years ago now was I did a video on Gears of War 3 running on PlayStation 3 hardware. So there was a, a longstanding story about how Epic Games were actually working on Gears of War 3 for both the Xbox 360 and the PS3, and um, a, a build of Gears of War 3 had surfaced um, on archive.org a couple of years ago, and it wouldn't run on any emulators or anything. You needed original hardware, um, and you actually needed a development kit that had extra memory um, because the, the original, or well, the PS3 has, I believe it has 256 megabytes of RAM um, for its kind of data and 256 for its graphics. You needed something that had, I believe it was one gigabyte of, uh, of, of, um, of RAM or something like that and you can only find this on a specific development kit so i asked the community um if anyone out there had this dev kit you know um and someone reached out to me and said yes i have one and so they sent it to me uh i made the video with the original hardware and i uh, sent it back and and you know so that's that's definitely another option that i that i like to have as well um you know in case the hardware is not available or if it's too expensive or there's just no way of, of making the video because at the end of the day you know like i said at the start you know if i'm going to make um some content i, I want to play around with what you know i want to play around with this stuff myself r- r- rather than just kind of tell a story um and then you know um make uh look at magazine articles or or information that was presented elsewhere i, I want to kind of look at it for myself you know with through my own eyes and, and and kind of tell the story that way,
0: but that creates other problems: packaging, postal service, losing yep. the stuff, yep. almost losing the stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, those 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 things are unreplaceable nowadays. Sometimes,
2: yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm I'm you know I'm always very careful uh, about those things. But yes, I mean the postal service is notorious for uh, just you know damaging your package or losing it and all that stuff. So it was a gamble. Um, it was fine, but looking, you know, with, with something like that, I remember I I took a lot a lot of extra care and attention to number one, make sure the it was packaged correctly, um, and number two, to ensure that it was you know uh, insured correctly and all those things just in case. But you're right, um, sending things through the mail, ha- you know, has has its, has its dangers. Uh, I have another story about that where um, uh, a, a fan or, a, you know, someone that follows me had some interesting hardware that they wanted me to take a look at on the channel. And they basically wanted me to meet with them in person because they didn't want me to, you know, they didn't want to send it through the mail, which I totally understand. So... That's something that I'm I'm going to probably do at some point next year. Um, you know, go out to this person's house, and film and 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 do it that way because um, I definitely understand that there's there's some there's some hardware pieces here, that, like you said, Jörg, uh, that are just irreplaceable, and a lot of people don't trust the the postal service system, and I I don't blame them. You know, at all. Interesting. So,
3: I have another question. You are doing also a lot of Coding stuff for for modern systems. So let's come back to the question of the modern uh, consoles. So um, so what's your favorite modern console as a, as a, as a fan and also as a coder? Probably would be interesting to know.
2: As a fan, I think the Nintendo Switch is my favorite system. I, it brings something unique and interesting to video games. I think mm-hmm. when the system first came out, Nintendo was criticized for this kind of hybrid system that that. You know, it did um, it did a bunch of things, but it wasn't very powerful. And then a lot of people were questioning, "What's the point of this?" Um, But they proved everyone wrong. You know, I think that the hardware itself is 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 proven now, and and it it for the most part, it's 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 quite good to use. And look, the games that that have come out for it are quite amazing. You know, for me, so. I think, you know, the Switch is is the system that has impressed me the most in in a modern setting. As far as what my favorite to code on, um, so I have uh, developed games for the PS4, PS5, Xbox, Xbox Series, Nintendo Switch, and the PC. As far as what my favorite, I would say the PlayStation 5 right now is is my favorite um, hardware to develop on. And there's no real particular reason why I think it's the best. Um, I just love that it has a lot of interesting and unique things that you can tap into. For example, you have the uh, the haptic feedback, you have the dual sense. There's um, some really cool things you can do with the SSD to speed up, you know, loading times. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the Xbox has its own um, SSD as well. Um, but I, I also like the um the overall development environment that you can use on on Sony platforms i think they they're very good as well and it's just i don't know it's just it's just a fun system to to develop code on i i don't really have a, any more specifics than that i think it's just um i enjoy it you know i i think uh i think Sony did did all the right things with the PS5 this time
3: okay interesting
2: i mm-hmm.
0: mean i mean that's a special thing about you 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 are living in both worlds developing for the triple A systems, the current mm. generation and the generation before. And on your YouTube, you are focusing on the retro stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, for me, YouTube has always been for fun. You know, even though, you know, I'm I'm I don't want to say I'm successful on the platform, but I'm I'm somewhat successful on almost YouTube. a million
0: I... subscribers. <laughs> I would well... I would call that successful.
2: Uh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. You know, I'm I'm not trying to downplay my um, my you know uh, milestones and and goals and, and everything, but I also you know say that it's um, 700,000 these days uh, isn't really that much. You know, there's a lot of people that have more than a million subs on the on the platform, but what I'm getting at is YouTube's always been about this the for fun for me, you know. It's never really been like a business for me. Or um, some people, you know, will will uh, get some success, and then they'll uh, you know quit their full time job and then go full time into content creation. And that's not anything that I've ever wanted to do with the channel because I feel like if I start making it more about business, then it it becomes less fun for me overall, you know. Um, i've had people uh, approach me over the years and and want to um you know edit my videos become my editor or help me with scripting or help me shoot videos and stuff and not vpn uh, there you go um (laughs) but it's it's one of those things where I, i i respectfully decline you know like um people there are some amazing people out there that are very talented but I've always just wanted to do this myself and for fun, you know. Like, I, I think the day that um, it stops being fun for me is the day that I kind of walk away from from the the platform. But I'm having a lot of fun doing it, and I, I want to continue to do it for as long as I can. But um, it's never really been like I said, more more than just you know a a side hobby. Um, you know, I mean, look. You can make you can make a living on YouTube. You can make some some good money as well if if uh, if you go hard at it. And I guess the other thing for me is I never I just do one video a week, you know. And if you really want to establish yourself on this platform, then you have to release daily content almost, you know, um, and just kind of keep the keep the metrics up, keep the analytics um, up, and keep the algorithm. You know, recommending you all the time. So I've always, you know, for me, it's always just been about fun. And I, I, but I love that, you know, a lot, a lot of people have, you know, followed my channel, subscribed and, and, you know, enjoyed the content over the years. I I definitely, definitely don't want to downplay that because that is, that's the most important thing for me is, is, you know, the audience.
0: Yeah. I mean, another thing I read about you, you're also coding for limited run games.
2: That's right. Yeah, so um, I ended up getting a job at Limited Run back in 2019. And it all started because they actually discovered me from my YouTube videos. So YouTube actually helped me get into the, you know, the the game development space. So that was, a, that was, a that was a bonus. But they watched my content and um, the development manager there at, at Limited Run reached out to me and said, look, you look like you're a smart smart guy and you know what you're talking about you know would you be interested in coming to work for us we're working on um some retro games right now that we think you would really appreciate so it kind of just went from there i um i I joined up with them on on a contract basis initially to help them with some games that they were working on and i've since you know joined the team full time and um you know been working on mostly retro games for them uh we we developed a emulation platform uh that's called carbon that allows you to basically run old retro games you know on modern platforms you know irrespective of of the of the console so that means
0: we could almost do a second interview about limited run games with you
2: kind yeah of. absolutely yeah i mean there's there, there would be a lot there to talk about but yeah i'd be more than happy to chat with you guys about about that aspect of what i do at lrg because it's it's a lot of fun you know and it's it's something that i i'm very passionate about uh as well you know Uh,
0: are you actually allowed isn't there nda
2: uh there is nda and i can't talk about the exact games that i'm working on Uh, i can talk about the games that i've i've released but unfortunately i can't say what what um games that we have coming out next year for example but um yeah i'm i'm more than happy to talk about you know the things that that we've already done
0: i mean i mean when when i was writing to you to invite you i was like oh my god this man did so much stuff we can talk to him like three hours and still Mm -hmm. have something to talk about you are so (laughs) versatile you know
2: yeah Yeah. I, i like to do lots of different things you know and um but I, all the things I do, I do it because I'm passionate about, you know. Um, and for me, getting into the game game industry was something that I've wanted to do for many, many years. But I never really had the, you know, to get into the video game industry, you either have to go to college and, and learn about, you know, game development. Or more importantly, you have to know people in the industry. And for me, I was um, I was never really anyone that, that knew anyone in the industry that could vouch for me, um, but I knew that I was a, a skilled programmer, and I've I've been writing code for many many years, just not in 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 game development. And like I said, it was YouTube that kind of dis, that was what um, I was, you know, what what people at LRG had seen, and that's how I was discovered. So I guess you know the the advice I would give to anyone that wants to get into the industry is. Um Do something unique, you know, and different from from everyone else, because you know if you just if you're just a person that submits your resume um, for a, a game development job and there's ten other people, then they want to see something that makes you stand out from the rest, you know what I mean? and having a youtube channel with over 700,000 subscribers is 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 something that is unique you know what i mean and yes. i'm not suggesting that <laughs> that everyone has has that um has that at at their disposal but i also feel like it's not just about having a youtube channel if you do something unique and and creative and interesting that's a little um maybe different from everyone else then you know that's that's kind of what you want to focus on. Um, so I never created YouTube to get into the game industry. You know, I'm going to, I want to say that, but it also helped me get into the game industry. That's how I was kind of recognized. So, um, you know, uh, I, I, think it was, uh, it was really good for me and, um, I've been very, 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 very happy, you know, making games for LRG. They're, they're a great, great company to work for. Pretty I mean, cool. I cool. mean,
0: a lot of, a lot of times things sh- just fall into place. I mean, we started this podcast because AJ, who is not with us today, unfortunately, he found um, on a thrift store, he found a microphone for $5 and he was like, hey, we have this brand. Why don't we expand to a podcast? And now <laughs> now we are doing an interview with the modern vintage gamers. So there you go. this yeah. is how things sometimes uh, fall in place. But on the other hand, when I was preparing for this interview today, I had the feeling you keep a low profile. Because the only other interview I found was actually with Robert Neal from mm-hmm. Retro RGB. I don't yes. know if that was really the only one you did before.
2: I've done a couple. Um, the, 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 I've, I've talked to a couple of, uh, you know, I've done some podcasts. Um, I've done the the Retro Hour, if you guys follow those guys. Over oh, in sure, sure. I've been on their show, I think, twice. Um, but for the most part, you know, I, I do keep a low profile, I think. You know, I like to. Um, I don't know. I just like to let the let the work and, and the and the videos do the talking, you know, but I'm always happy to, to talk to people um, that want to reach out to me. But, yeah, I did one with Retro RGB. I will say that out of all the podcasts I've done, that was probably my favorite one. I really enjoyed chatting with Rob. He was uh, with Bob. Sorry, he was. He was uh, he was very very awesome to talk to, but um, yeah, I do I do them occasionally, but like I, I'm not you know I'm not one of these people that you know you'll you'll find me on a million different podcasts.
0: I think Dennis, you said once uh, Bob is like a dude. <laughs> it is. Yes. He is. he is.
2: Definitely. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. a, he's, a, he's, a, he's awesome. a really good guy. Yeah. Um, I, I've met Bob a few times in person at some uh, retro conventions here in the U.S. and. He's uh, he's a stand up guy. Like um, he he's always been very helpful. You know, he's one of those people. Like I was talking about, where if I need something, some some retro hardware, um, you know, he's one of those guys that I can I can reach out to and and he'll help me out. Um, he's given me, um, you know, he he was one that sent me a, a, a Mister. You know, uh, he said. You haven't you haven't done them you haven't looked at this Mr. stuff yet, have you? And I said, Well, what, what's so good about the Mr., you know, over over MAME? You know, it's just another form of emulation, even though a lot of people don't think that, that FPGA is. I mean, it's hardware emulation, right? Um, but that's that's another another story. I, I don't wanna I don't wanna get into the ins and outs of that. But I mean, we, we anyway. have
0: time. We have time. Yeah,
2: he <laughs> it he could... ended up sending he ended up sending me uh, a Mister. He said, "Just just play around with this and and let me know what you think. You know, no no pressure or anything like that." So I said, "All right." And um, so I I spent a few days playing around with this Mister. And I was like, "My God, this thing is incredible!" You know, like I I, I realized that I got into this very late because there's this little asking me about the Mr. for years, When are you going to review the Mr. on your channel? We want to see the Mr. Why are not you talking about the Mr. <laughs> um, and I, I just didn't feel like it was that interesting, you know? Um, and then he sent it to me and uh, I was just like, this is incredible. You know, I, I didn't understand uh, why people, you know, I didn't understand at the time. And now I understand why people really love this stuff. Cause it's the community around that, especially, the things that they're doing with with the mister is is just amazing you know um when i made a video on the mist it was i think it was um maybe a year ago now but you know playstation was uh in development and even then it was running quite well um i took a look at some early sega saturn stuff that was going on and uh, the atari jaguar had a core in there as well which was still being developed and you know, it's uh, it's an amazing it's amazing community and it's an amazing piece of hardware. So you know, going back to the original point, I mean, Bob is uh, Bob is one of those guys. You know that that I can I can rely on um, to to get me things if I need them.
0: Yeah, which which I actually mentioned because um, we invited him and you um, approximately at the same time, and you both agreed. I was like, wow, you know, <laughs> this is this is amazing. So so basically. <clears throat> over corners you know each other kind
2: of yeah. you know yeah no we we know each other um uh quite well like i said I, I met him a few times at some conventions we've had beers together and all that stuff he's 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 a good dude
0: so is there any other youtuber or any other person you look up to or um is your role model
2: yeah, um, there's a few YouTubers that I, I like to watch. I, I will say in general, and this may sound a little strange, but I tend to not watch a lot of other retro gaming content. And that's not because I don't like the content. It's just I'm kind of on YouTube doing retro content. So when I sit down, you know, at the end of the night and I'll, I want to watch YouTube, I usually kind of switch off and watch something else, you know. Um but with that said, uh, I have some creators that I really like on the on the platform. Um, Bob is one, of course, that we that we mentioned. I like. Um, I also like what uh, Dan Wood does as well. And I will say that Dan Wood's videos were one of the earliest, um, you know, re- influences for me to get better at YouTube because he did some really good stuff on the Amiga way back in, like, 2013, 2014. And I would watch his videos back then, and I was like, man, this guy's, this guy's really good, you know? Um, I want to learn how to how to do stuff like this. Uh, so I always like his content. Um, I love, a big fan of Kim Justice. If you guys oh, yes. follow we Kim Justice, she, ago, yeah. she, she, is, uh, she is incredible. Um, the, yeah. the videos that she does, I just love them. Like, she'll just do, like, one whole hour of, like, the history of Ocean Software, and... I, I can't turn it off, you know. It's it's so 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 incredible. Um, so I, I love those, you know, nineteen eighties British video game documentaries about these obscure uh, publishers, you know, and 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 things like that. I I love that stuff because, like I said, guys, I was I was right there as a kid, you know, reading these computer magazines. Had my C sixty four, so I I definitely relate to those things. Um, so I'm a big Kim Justice fan and. You know, I, I guess I also like, um, you know, some of the more modern, uh, people that, that do modern content, like big fan of course, of digital foundry. They do incredible work. Um, John Lineman, especially with the, the DF retro stuff that he does, he's another big influence for me and, and my content. I, I love watching the things he does with, with, you know, um, with old retro games and stuff. So I think for me, they're the big ones.
0: I wonder what's your gripe on the uh, scandals the retro YouTube community had recently of you know every couple of years you have the um the scandals I think the latest mm-hmm. one was with Misty Kate um um crying about about um a picture she had to pay you know, fines for because of using without permission and stuff. I always I always feel like every five years or so mm-hmm. there's a new scandal going around on the YouTube retro fared. even even Kim Justice made a statement mm-hmm. about it first on Twitter, then then on YouTube because she was pressured to do it. Yes. many people yes. were like, tell us your point of view, do it, do it, do it.
2: Yeah, um, I don't. Really have any direct association to any of that stuff, but I did see what was going on with. Um, you're talking about Lady Decade and Top Hat Gaming, man. Exactly.
0: The, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Uh, so, look, I think what they did was was, you know, not not good, at all, actually. Um, and for those people that are listening to this that don't know the context, uh, basically what happened was they ended up uh, using some, uh, copyright image from a photographer in one of the videos known as Martin McNeil. And he took, um, he basically asked them to, uh, to pay him uh, a certain amount of money for the use of his image in the video. And since then it's, it's, I think they ended up paying him, but, um, they also, uh, as far as I know, this whole thing is, is not resolved because it's kind of gotten beyond just the, the initial payment now, because they came out and said some things about him that potentially could um, you know damage his re- reputation credibility. I may not be 100 percent accurate on the facts there, so I do apologize, but I, I understand, and I know the situation. Uh, I think the situation is, um, is absolutely, you know, um, unacceptable for uh, for them to have acted the way they did on this, I think it would have just been easier if they had just paid the man uh, you know which was five
0: hundred which was five hundred pounds I've read if yep. I'm not mistaken. So it was not even a large sum
2: mm-hmm.
0: where you would say like I'm getting poor if I pay
2: right right. Um, so you know she made that video basically attacking him and sending, Her audience to attack him, which, uh, you know, when you have a a following or a platform on YouTube, you have to be very, very careful. And this is something that I think about all the time, um, especially when I'm on Twitter or, uh, you know, some some social media. I have to be very careful about the things that I say, you know, in general, because I don't want to attack um, other people on the platform. Because I know that I have a large following, and those people are going to just go over there and attack this person, and so you have a responsibility as a content creator to, um, you know, you have you have that power and that responsibility to to not not do that, you know, and so the way that she kind of responded with that video and and basically said that you know um, she uh, she couldn't afford to pay for it and. He was bullying, bullying. Um, the, he was bullying them, uh, and all that sort of stuff was just completely unacceptable. So for me, I, I think um, you know I, I support Martin McNeil in this, and I've spoken to him uh, as well about some other things that have happened, not not that story, um, but yeah, it's just it's just one of those things where every, like you said, every few years something happens in the retro community that really just you know, angers a lot of people. And, and for me, look, I think this could have been resolved so much easier um, than it was. And look, now the unfortunate part about um, what's going on with them, Top Hat Gaming Man and Lady Decade, is they don't realize it yet, but their channel um, is starting to, you know, slip away. You know, the numbers are starting to to decrease because people have learned that, you know, she was not being honest about, about what happened. And she's not come out and ever apologized for it or ever said anything, um, about it, they've, they've kind of just continued to make videos, um, you know, in, in a fashion where it doesn't seem like, um, she wants to talk about it anymore. Right. But it's this big thing, this, this big elephant in the room where the best thing that you could have done in the situation was apologize and pay the man, you know, and and I think neither of those things happened. Uh, she's continuing to make videos and slowly, um, you know, the numbers are falling off. And I think that's the biggest, biggest shame for them because their platform that they currently have is starting to, you know, um, you know, Mm. slip away from them. And like I said, it could have been resolved a lot, a lot smoother and easier, but you know, that's kind of the, the, the path they took.
0: I mean, I mean, the shocking thing is, everybody thought, without knowing the details that we know now, that the sum must be astronomical, like yes. fifty thousand, five thousand, you know. And well, then it turns out it was just five hundred,
3: mm-hmm. which is well,
0: not like uh, super, super expensive. If I mean, I might get that fact wrong, but I guess somewhere I've read that the amount he wanted as payment wasn't so so huge.
2: No, and, you know, initially, when these things happen, um, initially people, you know, so will side with the YouTuber because they'll throw out the the term, you know, fair use. Mm. You know. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. using this as fair use, right? And so when, when she made the video, people just assumed that there was this you know, this bully that was out there that was bullying them, you know, into into extorting them, you know, for payment almost. That's kind of the way that she presented this as this person is extorting us for money. And if I pay him the money, what's, what's to say that he's not going to ask for more money, you know, um, next month, right? So initially when that happened, you kind of, a lot of people just kind of believe the story that's been presented to them you know without any context and, and and until you kind of dig deeper um and and kind of get all the facts in front of you you realize that 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 story is is incorrect you know she may have she may have felt upset on the day that this happened because they got a copyright she got a copyright strike or he got a copyright strike on his channel and when you get a copyright strike um it's it can be very very devastating uh, like I said, to a creator that is doing it full time because you're potentially, um, you know, affecting their channel in such a way where they either can't upload for a while or, um, you know, their monetization may get removed, you know, things like that. So, um, but ultimately, it, this again, this is something that's that just could have been handled so much, so much cleaner and easier, it didn't have to end up on YouTube as as a public thing. It could have just been something where, um, you know, that they agreed that, that they would pay this man his money back. And he wasn't even asking for the money back immediately, as far as I know. He just said, look, this is how much you, you, you need to pay me. But there wasn't a, um, any terms about you need to pay me in 24 hours. I think it was just, you know, uh, uh, over the period of like a month or something, I don't know what the actual period was, um, was what he, when it w- was when he was requesting payment. So he wasn't even being forceful about it, and he certainly wasn't bullying them or extorting them. He was just, you know, the man took a photograph. It's his photograph, and if you use it in video, then you know you pay the man the money that that um, you know he, he's uh, he's he's supposed to be paid. So I think ultimately it was just it's just a very very sad situation that was handled extremely terribly. And it's gone back to really bite those two creators um, on the butt, and they're the ones ultimately that are going to lose their platform as a result of this.
0: Another thing that happens um, every four years is that Miss Met Lemon mm-hmm. accuses a lot of retro YouTubers to copy her content, mm-hmm. and the list is growing bigger and bigger. And and actually, like two weeks ago. She made a statement that the situation still didn't improve, and she mm-hmm. was referring to her video she did four years ago. And I really was thinking, like, "Oh, come on, keep it low." Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, there's so much, there's so much stuff that that a lot of people do on YouTube. Can you really not accidentally at least copy somebody' content?
2: Well. I will say I'm I'm a good friend of Miss Mad Lemon. Uh, she's she's awesome, and I love her videos. And I've I've followed her for for years and years and years. Um, as far as you know, what she's talking about, the situation is a little different because it's it's to do with the piece of music that she had wrote on 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 ProTracker. Ah. Okay. Um, Didn't know so that. So it's not it's okay. it's not just it's not just some content that you know someone took from her channel or or something like that. Uh, and you're right. I mean there is um you know th- there are times where you know c- certain content can be used but this was different because this was um had to do with a piece of music and if you listen to the uh the, the copied music it's it's very very similar you know uh so i think she came out and basically said after the um top hat uh top hat and lady decade thing she basically came out and said look nothing has really changed, you know, like, this has happened to me before and it's happening to someone else. Um, And I will tell you that I've been in in situations, in fact, recently, uh, that I've had my content uh, stolen as well, you know, Um, and I've actually talked to the the individual, uh, uh, you know, privately, and we've resolved it, you know, so um, it wasn't anything that I felt like I needed to make a video exposing someone, for it, but it's one of those things that 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 happens, and it can it will continue to happen. And I think you know, for me, whether you want to air it publicly or you want to you know try to resolve it personally, is your decision. And it, it's it's really about how you feel at the end of the day. If you feel, you know, um, like you've been wronged, and you feel like you need to bring awareness to the situation then I don't fault any creator um, that, that does that, you know, ultimately um, I think, you know, stealing content, all that sort of thing is definitely a thing, but I also, I get your point as well, Yorg about, you know, it's YouTube, right? Um, you know, if, if I make a video and I am, um, you know, taking a magazine scan of a photograph and using it in my video, is that really fair use or is it Am my basically, you know, stealing content from the magazine th- th- there's definitely a gray area there and I, I definitely understand what you're saying but for me I um you know I, I like to credit uh, every person or every corporation as best I can in my videos and a lot of the times I reach out to the person beforehand and ask them personally can I can I use your content especially if it's another youtuber um, even if they have 50 subscribers. If they have a way for me to get a hold of them via email or Twitter, I'm going to reach out to them and ask them. You know, would it be possible to use this content? I'm going to I'm going to credit you in the video and all that sort of stuff. So, I try to be as as best as I can about those things because I, I, like I said, it's it's happened to me. It's happened to people I know, um, and it's not fun. It's not fun when you see your work end up somewhere else without your knowledge. You know. Um, I think uh, it's it's something that um, a lot of creators, you know, have dealt with, and it's you know it's it's something that I personally, I'm not a fan of, and I, I want to you know see that improve over time.
0: Totally get your point. Um, a few months back, um, the Nostalgia Nerd was contacting me over our Twitter before mm. he did the pet video, and he used a lot of content we created <laughs> about the. Um, Pet phone, the pet mm-hmm. phone back then, and that was really nice because this way I learned how YouTuber work, with mm-hmm. you know preparing for content, preparing for video, asking people who've spoken to the Italians before and stuff, fact checking. <clears throat> so yep. it gave me a glimpse of what of what work is involved, and um, the big problem is a lot of people that watch your content don't realize how much effort you put into the final video before you can actually publish it. And it's interesting that you mentioned at the beginning of the interview that you actually sit down two days and send your video around and look at it again because a lot of YouTubers tell me they don't. Mm-hmm. They can't watch their
2: own content. <laughs> well, I, I will say that um, I'm pretty good at reviewing my own work. Most of the time, but I will, I'll be honest with you as well. There, there are some videos that I've made that I just can't bear to go back and watch. You know, um, whether I said something s- silly in the video, whether it was something that I just got incorrect, or whether I just didn't think I looked good in the in the video, I don't really know. You know, but for the most part, what I usually do is um, I, I like to review my work. You know, I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of critiquing my own content. And I'm my biggest, you know, critique as well. You know, I like to sit down and and rewatch things that I did like two years ago and and see how they hold up, you know. And um, I don't know, like I, I always feel like the only way to get better on this platform is to critique yourself. And of course, you know, you need to get that feedback from your community and from your audience but in order, you know, for me um, to, to get better, I, I like to just take a look at what I've done and see how I can improve. Like every time I make a video, I always think about what can I do better the next time around.
0: What's, what I find interesting is you really appear in this interview the way I, I um well, I got to know you from the videos because mm-hmm. I thought, okay, he's very reasonable, very uh, straight headed man, you know. um. <laughs> You do. You're doing your fact checks right and stuff. You know. Yeah. It's 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 nice. You you even you even can tackle the bad questions or mm-hmm. um well, as I said with the scandals, the hard yeah. topics that most people would only talk about off the record. So I find that pretty charming about you that you are so I, well so flexible I, and so honest.
2: Yeah, I'm. I don't play a character. You know, some people on YouTube play a a character and that's fine. Like I said, I I don't have any issues with any creator out there. Um, if if you have a platform, you have some subscribers and you do things on YouTube, I respect you. You know, you have your audience, the way that you do it is, is the way that you do it. For me, I don't play a character. Um, I don't you know do things any differently what you see on videos uh is the same as what you have here if uh if you guys and i went to get a beer after after the show together if we we're all in the same location and we sat down and, and had a chat it would be the same you know i i don't have any i don't really i guess i don't really have anything to hide at the end of the day i'm just i've always been been this way you know
3: yeah i think it's uh it's the uh, the fact that you're doing this for fun you don't have the pressure to be a character, to be someone right. else. And um, I think that this makes this authentic way that uh, people are enjoying, including me, of course, and I really like your channel too. Um, so that's a perfect balance between um, between seriousness and fun that you are representing. And um, yeah, this is the and, Modern Vintage Gamer formula. Exactly,
0: <laughs> exactly. And it, it appears that, over the years, with the global climate and and so on, things are getting more and more political. You know, mm-hmm. that's um, really something that um, also happened without ours within our staff. You know, when we had, when we had when we were discussing like, should we really allow Russians to to consume our content? And then we have discussions about that. And then I realized, well, the average Russian is not. Um, Responsible for what the president does and so on. So it's it's sure. really it's really it's really hard sometimes, you know. And and then I'm discussing this with Dennis, and Dennis says like, well, we have um, three thousand people from Russia listening to our podcast. Why why should we say we don't want this audience, you know? So yeah. um, it's 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 really difficult, and it it really pains me in a way to see that that even within the YouTube retro. Um, Seen there is uh, political bullshit going on. Of course, of
3: course. It's, yeah, it's it's like making life so complicated. Yeah, yeah. So maybe this is the thing that you said before that you really have to be careful what you say on Twitter or on a YouTube channel. So everything can get can get in the wrong light uh, uh, quickly yeah. and then escalates into something terrible.
2: Um, yes, no, ab- absolutely. And you're right. There, there's there's been there's been a lot of drama in the retro community over the yeah. over the last few years and I don't really know why that that happens. Um but for whatever reason there's you know there's all sorts of things that happen in that community. There's um there's elitism, there's gatekeeping, there's uh, just all sorts of different things that that go on. And honestly, I I'd rather stay out of it and just do my own thing for the most part.
0: I noticed that um, when when there are events, retro events in USA, I, yeah. I think I never saw you in a panel or something where all the other YouTubers are sitting in the YouTuber panel or something.
2: Yeah. So I, I do go to conventions occasionally. I will say that I haven't gone um, to many of them, mostly because of COVID. Uh, especially in in 2020, 2021, a lot of events were cancelled and there were some organizers that reached out to me for some retro shows and asked me if I wanted to be a guest and I respectfully declined um, for the most part. And it's not, again, not because I don't want to attend. It was just something that I felt like I wasn't really ready to go back to shows quite yet. Um, I'm not really sure how, how COVID affected, uh, you guys in, in your, country respect, in your, you know, respect, respectful countries. But for me in the U S as you probably read, it was, it was pretty bad for a while, you know, and a lot of things got shut down, a lot of, um, lockdowns that happened, most no. retro events got canceled. It was, uh, it was, it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a good time for, for people, but when they started to come back, um, I still wasn't ready to come back to these events yet. Um, uh, so since since then, I actually did go go to one a few months ago um, here in the US. It's called the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Um, so I was there for one panel and that was kind of the first panel that I've done since um, the last panel I ever did. And that was back in 2019. So it's been it's been quite a few years since I've, I've done these panels. But I, I also want to say that um, these retro YouTube uh, panels where they have like five YouTubers on on the table and they talk, honestly, it's not really something that I'm interested in. And it's not because I wanna I wanna I want the focus to be about me or anything. It's not it's not anything to do with that. It's I just feel like that the questions that that are that are being asked are the same questions that you hear all the time. Like, what's your favorite YouTuber? What's, you know, what's your favorite video? You know, just kind of pretty (laughs) general questions, right? We
0: didn't ask any of those questions. We are doing something
2: wrong. No, you're doing, you're doing good. Um, So (laughs) I I always want, you know, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna uh, talk uh, on a podcast or I'm gonna talk at a convention, then, you know, um, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, we're talking about something interesting, you know, Um, so, uh, you know, for me. I'm not really big on, on on those types of things. But, you know, uh, with that said, next year I have already planned to attend a couple of events next year. So you'll probably see me, um, you know, on on some YouTube video at some retro event um, next year.
0: You heard it first here in the <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. I mean, it's exactly the reason why I invite you and other guests. I want to ask different questions and one of my my dreams would be to make my own um well in person panel with with guests i would want and uh, ask them my questions but mm. as i understand yes a lot of podcasts and a lot of panels they are structured all the same way and yeah. um we try to make things a bit different here i hope it worked out and it wasn't too boring for you
2: no 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 it's 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 been great you you guys have been awesome i mean i can tell that you guys have done you've done your homework right like there's been some um, some other chats i've had on other podcasts where you can tell that they've they've looked at my page they've looked at the last few videos they've looked at the subscriber accounts and they said okay yeah let's let's talk you know but um <laughs> Uh, you know, and and for me, if you're going to bring me on a podcast, then at least do some research and do you know, so you know who I am, and um, and kind of don't ask me the same questions all the time because uh, you know it's it gets a little get gets a little tedious. But no, uh, you guys have been you guys have been good. I I, I love the questions, especially the retro community ones. Like, I've be <laughs> honest, it was it was out of left field, but I I also appreciate that you asked that question as well. Well,
0: interestingly. We we asked other YouTubers like um, like Kim Justice the same questions, but those were kept off the record. So
2: okay, yeah. Well, I mean, Kim, Kim is obviously someone that is very much um, invested in the UK YouTube scene. Um, I'm just a observer to what was going on. Uh, so I guess I, I have more of a uh, you know, it's easier for me to to make an opinion on a, on a public, uh, forum, you know, cause I know that, um, she may, I mean, she, she's obviously friends with people that, um, that are in that circle. So for me, it's, it's just like, I'm um, I'm here in the U S and I saw what was happening. So I'm gonna, you know, give you my opinion, but I will also say that if I was in the UK retro scene, I wouldn't do it any different. I would still be talking to you guys on the show about it and still tell you that I think the whole situation was was just mm. terrible.
0: I mean, I mean, we are called scene world. We are not making really a difference based on where somebody's coming from. we We mm-hmm. spoke to people from Japan, Venezuela, or Jamaica and so on. Um, so that's not really how we work. Um, in my mind, I'm not making really a difference, you know, yeah, yeah and 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 the less a person is normally a guest on a podcast the more interesting the guest is to us so we are not having the same guest like all the other podcasts over and over again and i really right. hope that next year we can make a follow-up about the limited run games
2: yeah no i I'd, I'd love to chat with you guys about it um there's a lot to cover there, you know, uh, and I'd be more than happy to sit down and, and walk through and next next year is actually a good time because we'll have some more game announcements and some more games that are coming out that I think people will like. So um, I think the timing is is good
0: that should we invite somebody along you or do you want to talk to yourself about the topic
2: uh I, I can probably bring another person from lrg with me as well um so we'll you know leave it leave that with me um we can we can definitely follow up and, and awesome and bring pretty you know, cool a couple people on
0: perhaps yeah. on a personal on a personal note limited run games came into picture for me because of i've not the first time about this brand when they released limited editions that were sold out within five minutes.
2: Yeah. It was so like, limited... oh, my
0: God, this is yeah, like so super.
2: That's right. So the company first started out um, making these like limited releases of PlayStation Vita games and, and things, you know, like a thousand copies and, and stuff. and. The demand obviously had, you know, has grown because physical products, especially in the retro gaming space is, is something that a lot of people love, you know, having a physical, physical product of a game that, that never saw a physical release. So there's definitely a market there, you know, that they, they found, um, but these days it's, it's more about an open pre-order, you know, for two weeks. And so, there's always a chance, or there's always a way for you to get get the game that you want now, r- rather than trying to fight a website so you can get a copy of a game before the the two thousand copies you know end up selling out. But um, yeah, it's a it's a good 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 business model and a good place to work.
0: It's also a good way to um, to invest money because the aftermarket prices seventy bucks and more. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, are you serious? You know, scalpers, I think is the term. Yes. Uh also a big thing.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. And anything in the retro community is expensive for the most part. You know, old old computers, old games, you know, any I mean the market is is, is kind of quite crazy right now, you know, and I think if anyone wants to get into the retro gaming space today, then it's too late. I hope they have uh, a lot of money in the bank.
3: Passion is an expensive thing. You're it
2: actually one of absolutely. the few.
3: You're actually one of the few YouTubers that didn't do a video
0: this year or in the last two years, saying like why I stopped collecting retro games.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, because I never did stop. You know, I, <laughs> I think if I, if I, I think if I made that video, I'd be dishonest. You know, to my audience and look. I, I love, I love my audience, you know, they, uh, sometimes, um, they're really good at knowing, you know, if, if I'm, uh, if I'm feeling good, if I'm not, if I'm being honest or not. Um, so I'm not going to make a video about why I stopped collecting retro games when, you know, there's a a shelf behind me full of retro games. So, you know, that, that, that's just being (laughs) dishonest. So I would never, I would never make a video about that, even, even if it was, uh, a topic that is, you know, is quite interesting to talk about. Clickbait. Exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> I mean, I, I have seen people that make those videos, and they haven't stopped collecting video games. They, they're still collecting them. So, um, you know, I, again, I don't, I don't have any issue with anyone making videos on YouTube, but I also feel like you have a responsibility to your audience to be uh, honest about what you, what you, what your words are. You know, because there are a lot of people that follow. That follow me, that follow other creators, that you know, we're considered role models, or you know, we're, we're being, you know, people look up to us, you know. And I would never say something like that if it was not 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 the case. Do you feel like a role model yourself? Um, I I do, but like, whoa, I don't I don't take it. Um, I don't you know I don't really think about it too much. I mean I, I've met people in person that, and that's that's the thing that I really love is going to conventions and meeting with with fans and followers because you know you know you're stuck at home all the time and you make these videos and you wonder what is the actual what does it look like out in the real world you know um sure you have people that they click on your videos and enjoy them and, and comment that they liked it but it's not until you actually go out and meet people at conventions that you really understand how much of an impact you're having on on some people. Um, so the last event that I, I was at was a few months ago out in Portland at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, and I met a lot of people uh, there, and it was almost overwhelming, you know, to meet so many people that just said, man, I, I really love what you're doing, and um, you know, you've you, you've you've made my life better, and and all sorts of things." You know, um, everyone from you know, um, a person that has an entire family that watch my content um to, you know, people that are older, you know, in their sixties, that talk about nostalgia and, and, you know, the the happiness that I brought back to them when they watch my my channel. It's very overwhelming and it's very humbling to me. So um, like I said, I I try to wield that responsibility as best I can, you know, and, and make sure that I'm, I'm always entertaining my my audience and, you know, telling them interesting and entertaining stories at the end of the day.
0: So hopefully you do you do that for another 15 years.
2: <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'll tell you guys, I'm turning 50 next year. So I don't know if I can do it for 15 more years, but I, I will say that I'm going to continue doing YouTube until it's not fun for me anymore. You know, and I think, you know, for me, that's always been the thing with me. And that is, if something is no longer fun, then I'm going to step away and do something else. Um, and I've always kind of lived, lived that, you know, that philosophy in 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 my life. Um, I'm having a lot of fun doing YouTube. It's, you know, it's, there's a lot of work, but it's also fun. And for me, I'm not going to step away, until it it's you know until it stops being fun. So I'm um, I'm good for at least another five or so years. I would say uh, we'll see. Fifteen years, maybe. I mean, I could be sixty five, still making videos. We'll we'll see 50, how it goes. Fifteen
3: years. Fifty. Yeah.
2: Fifty <laughs> years. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> that would be something. Hundred. Wow. You can try. You can try it.
3: Oldest YouTuber. <laughs>
2: I think, I think maybe by then I will actually hire some help, you know, to help me out because I think that would be very difficult to do it by myself, but, um, mm. no, I appreciate it guys. Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, I, I love it and it's, it's still fun for me. And, you know, just when I think that I'm, I'm starting to run out of things to talk about something else comes up, you know? Um, and it's just, a uh, it's just an ongoing process. Like right now, um, I, uh, I'm doing a review of this. I haven't done it yet. This is Vision Basic for the Amazing. Commodore 64, <laughs> um, and this thing is incredible. So I'm I can't wait to actually uh, make a video on it. It's probably not going to come out for maybe a month or so. So I'm right now I'm just playing around with it um, and learning about it. <laughs> Amazing. You know, then the video will come uh, at some point.
0: Awesome. Should Perfect. we should we be careful when we release ours to not intervene? with your release schedule on this video?
2: No, 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 no. Um, the way that I always, I've talked to people about this before that are doing uh, a similar review or a similar product. I always tell people, just do just do your own thing, you know, um, release it, you know. Uh, you shouldn't have to worry about what I'm <laughs> doing, you know, for you guys. Uh, because at the end of the day, your audience and my audience there may be some overlap, but you have an audience and your audience follows you and my audience follows me. So just because you are talking about a product that I'm talking about doesn't mean that you're going to lose views because they're watching me. Like, you know, for me, YouTube is interesting because a lot of the times it's not really about the product that you're talking about. It's about the personalities, you know. Um, So for me, I, I would just say just, Whenever you guys are planning on doing it, just do it.
0: It's actually true.
2: Depending on the guest,
0: the episode listening amount varies a bit. You know.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And
0: then, of course, you have the female bonus also as mm-hmm. a factor. You know.
2: The female That's... bonus.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, if you have female guests in that mm-hmm. tech field,
2: mm-hmm. they
0: are more sought after
2: yeah i think so because i mean women in technology are obviously um a lot more difficult to find and especially talk to as well you're right i mean this community the, the retro gaming community is it's a male dominated field let's be honest you know um so talking to female creators i think is is very important and yeah i mean i, I think you're right at the end of the day
0: somehow it's also a bit sad isn't it it shouldn't be this way
2: agree, yeah there's there should definitely be more women in technology. i'm I'm someone that is a big big advocate for it, you know, um both professionally where I work and and personally what I do on YouTube. So like I said i i'm I'm a big fan of and 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 good friends with Miss Miss Madelemon like i have always loved the, the the work that she does, uh, especially some of the hobbyist projects she does with um with you know electronics. Because I don't have that skill set, so I'm kind of fascinated by, by the work that she does there. So uh, I'm a big fan, and you know, any way I can, you know, elevate these um, that elevate uh, female creators on on the platform, I, I'm all about it. As long as
0: I don't cut my throat by asking too open about your opinion, it's fine.
2: So, so um, where can I'm, people I'm find your stuff? Okay, well, you can find me on YouTube at modern vintage gamer so just uh, search for me there you'll find me i do one video every week on a monday sometimes i'll do a midweek video but um you know i'm I'm doing at least one video a week if you want to chat with me more directly i'm available on twitter at modern vintage g i'm usually there every single day and that's about it. Um, I have Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. If you Google those, you can find me there too. But I'm not as active on those on those platforms um, as much. So Twitter and YouTube are the two places you can find me.
0: We will put links to everything in the podcast description anyway, so people can find you. And Perfect. I totally missed. I totally missed today's video. What came before Street Fighter? Oh my god! Wow.
2: Yeah, it was a good one. You should check it out. Uh, I'm gonna check it. A out. lot of a, a lot of really good. Um, Nostalgia, you know, uh, there's probably some games in there that you are familiar with, and probably some games in there that you have never heard of before. So I I spent most quite people, a bit of time researching it.
0: Most um, people don't even know that there was something before Street Fighter 2.
2: That's right. Um, that's That's why I made the video.
0: <laughs> and 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 if if I remember correctly, I'm not so sure. But as if I remember correctly, Street Fighter One was actually famous for he, for their hilarious Japanese accent um voice mm-hmm. voice samples.
2: Yep. Yeah. And it was, was that just that,
0: was that game, right? It was that. Game. Yeah.
2: It was, Street Fighter One had had the the voice samples. It was also you could only play as two characters, Ryu and Ken. So you can only pick between Japan and the US. Um, and it was it was, wasn't great, but you could see the blueprint was there for Capcom to expand on. you know, they took they took a lot of influence from older games like karate Champ and Ya Kung Fu and some other games. And yeah, they struck gold with Street Fighter two. So Street Fighter one was uh, was interesting. Um, for its time, When the game came out, it was it was quite nice looking, but obviously, you know, Street Fighter II was the game that really uh, revolutionized the fighting game
0: industry. Did you also touch on the horrible UK release for the Commodore sixty four compared to the better American release?
2: No, 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 no. Uh, I didn't get that. I I, I didn't get that deep. But there's probably going to be a second second video on this topic because I covered everything everything up to to everything from um, the first fighting game to Street Fighter, Street Fighter 1, but I didn't cover anything between Street Fighter 1 and Street Fighter 2. Yeah. So anything that came after Street Fighter 1, before Street Fighter 2, I didn't talk about. And I also didn't talk about the the conversions of, of those ah, games bad. as well. But, well, um... here's
0: the thing. Here's a detail a lot of people don't know. the The actual release of the UK version was so bad and they were aware of it that when they released Street Fighter in Europe, and I know it's right because I got a copy on tape on dataset, they actually shipped the better American version on the second side of the dataset tape.
2: That's funny. So um, they I knew, knew I they knew
0: that. it was horrible. So you <laughs> automatically get two games for 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 the price of one.
2: That's Funny, I know that I know that there were some C64 games of that time where there were American versions and UK versions, and depending on the game, one was a lot better than the other. And I don't really know why that actually happened why separate versions were developed in separate countries, but it's interesting.
0: (laughs) So, anyway, if you ever make a second part of that, it's something to consider because I definitely will. will. it's absolutely it's absolutely stunning so um it's like they admit their own their own failure the publisher mm. admitted their own failure and i yeah. think in case in case of in case of um street fighter the reason was that the license for for different regions went to different uh, development studios
2: right yeah that makes sense i think at the time it was um I know Capcom was involved, but I think U.S. Gold did the English version. I don't remember, but you're yes, right. There was, they, did there was the, different,
0: they did the British version, the UK different version.
2: Different developers, yeah. yeah, did different games. I know Activision was another one. Um, Afterburner was a game that had a really bad UK version. Same you know, somewhat, yeah. somewhat better US version as well. And I think Double Dragon was the same. The C64 same. version was horrible but the U.S. version was a little better. It wasn't, it wasn't great by any means, but it was definitely yeah. better.
0: Yeah, and then you have Rampage, same deal. Oh,
2: Rampage. Rampage, same, oh, same I di- deal. I didn't know yeah. that. Oh, I need to look at that, yeah. yeah. Okay, good to know. And,
0: and, and, and interestingly, there's another story. The, this is game Arkanoid, right? The mm-hmm. Commodore 64 version, Um, there's a PAL version and an NTSC version. And they actually sold the NTSC version all across the globe, even yes. even in, in Germany.
2: I've seen that happen before in reverse. Um, so one of the games that I'm a big fan of is Turrican by uh, Rainbow Arts Factor 5. Yeah. And I live in the US, so I have box copies of Turrican 1, 2, and 3, all uh, NTSC versions but if you actually play the games there's still the PAL version of the game uh so they just you know they just put it on on disk as PAL versions but they still run on ntsc machines so i've seen that happen before
0: perhaps um one question about that do you also realize when you work on those, those youtube videos that now certain knowledge of the retro past is getting lost
2: yeah, I, I do, um, and it's one of the reasons why I want to, you know, cover those types of stories. Like, some of these things just feel like they're not that important to cover, but I disagree. Like, I feel like there's Richards. so much, yeah, there's so much to to really uh, to cover on 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 uh, on old games, you know. Oh. Um, and I, I find it fascinating to go back and and talk about these things, you know. So nothing for me is is too small to cover if I think that the subject matter is, is important enough.
0: Printers, for example, is a topic that will die out because nobody's mm. interested in the dot .matrix printers from the 80s.
2: Right, yeah, that's true. I mean, you can't find them anymore. And um, and I, I love uh, old dot .matrix printers. <laughs> um, I don't think I'd ever use one again, but I, I think they're interesting. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I like the sound. I like really. really yeah, fun.
2: I like the sound too. I mean, again, it, it, there's some nostalgia there, right? Because, like, for me, dot matrix printers was when I was in university, uh, working on um, you know coding assignments, and so I remember being in the school laboratory, printing out you know um, my my homework and trying to figure out why it wasn't compiling properly or something. So, I definitely have memories of of those types of things.
0: Awesome, awesome. oh my God we almost
3: hit two hours.
2: goes amazing. fast thanks huh? for all these insights it's
3: <laughs> been pretty interesting and um pretty so cool. cool. Thank you.
2: Well thank you guys i I know um you know we've wanted to do this for a while but um I'm glad we finally uh were able to all get together and 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 chat it was was a lot of fun. amazing. Thanks.
0: I'm glad you enjoy it as well and Merry Christmas. thanks thanks, thanks for everything.
2: thank you. Thank you you as well guys. Ha- have a great holiday.